Howdy there, everybody. Today is Tuesday, April 6th, 2021. I'm Trey Crowder, and that, back after a one-episode hiatus, is Mark Agee. Good to have you back, buddy. How's it going? It's going great, man. Yeah, I had to uh, miss last week due to a dentist appointment. I couldn't move because my uh, my health insurance was running out. We're going on Cobra for a little bit. <laughs> Ain't and, that uh, America? Yeah, if, if you guys, for you guys that are overseas and wondering what the hell I mean by my health insurance is running out, that's uh, <laughs> right. yeah. it's a very American phenomenon where basically to get to the doctor, you have to answer this series of – you ever trying to take a ring to Mordor? That's what trying to go to the doctor's like in America. <laughs> um, but I so Corey subbed in for me, and my yeah. understanding is – that uh, I, I didn't I didn't watch the, his episode back, but I saw his public apologies he issued afterwards. So if you could fill me in on what exactly he did, yeah. So you know we had Marcus Flowers on running for Congress there in Marjorie Taylor <laughs> Greens, and also Corey Ryan Forrester's district, the district where Corey mm-hmm. lives. Because Corey and Marcus are both from there, Corey knows Marcus. They've went back and forth multiple. They've talked on the phone a bunch of stuff. They know each other. Corey's our senior Georgia correspondent. Marcus, we we're talking to him about coming on the show. And he had mentioned that, like, you know, uh, what if Corey – I know Corey's on the show a lot. What if Corey was on the show? And that would be great. And I was like, hey, good news. Mark ain't going to be there. (laughs) But I was like, not only will Corey be on the show, Corey's guest hosting this week. So this is – and George is in the news. This is the perfect week to do it, Marcus. And he was like, great, all right. Mm -hmm. Stars have aligned. So Corey comes on. So keep that in mind that, like, Marcus wanted Corey on the show and who doesn't Corey's great. But, uh-huh. yeah. uh, but Corey, he was like, he talked to me before. And he was like, look, you know, I'm not smart, Mark. And I was like, buddy, I know we all know you're not smart, Mark. It's fine. <laughs> I'll try to fill in as much as I can for smart, Mark. You just come on and respond. You just react. You just hit whatever. And he was like, okay, well, I, you know, I can handle that. So smooth sailing. He's just hitting, he's doing his thing. Uh, we had talked repeatedly about Marcus coming on halfway through, but then we start and we go for 30 minutes and Corey's just going and he's drinking, he's having a good time. And then mm-hmm. he happens to right before U S army veteran Marcus flowers is about to come on and talk about his Congress congressional campaign, literally right. But 15 seconds before that Corey goes, you know, they try to act like we're the weirdos or whatever else. But as far as I'm concerned, conservatives are the ones that always got an apple in their mouth while their old lady pegs them in the butthole while they watch Tool Time and shit like that. And I was just like, okay, well, he is the Army veteran running for, <laughs> <laughs> for Congress in Georgia. And when I did that, Corey was like, he put his hands on his head. He was like, I forgot. I totally forgot Marcus was coming on the show. And, uh, and Marcus was like, yeah, we'll talk about it tomorrow, Corey. It's fine. Yeah, Don't worry. It is. <laughs> I think it they, is, had a little, they had a little discussion the next day, but everybody's good. We're all still buddies, it is, but yes. Yeah, it's beyond <laughs> hilarious to me that – because Marcus is worried about the appearances he does because he's not media trained and media savvy, right? He's just fucking doing a shoestring campaign, David versus the Goliath that is Marjorie Taylor Greene right. and Georgia 7th or whatever. And uh, he's out here doing it on his own. And he's, he's skeptical of coming on our show because we're a couple of like uh, dick joke mechanics. And yes. but like you, but so he's more comfortable with Corey, who is, she, I mean, it's the best possible way a loose cannon. 100%, and yeah. Corey makes him feel better about making it. And then he, Corey makes a joke that, uh, I mean, that's not something I particularly right. would but, do. <laughs> yeah, for, just about it. it wasn't. It wasn't that Marcus was anti-smart Mark, of course, but yes, no, we talked a lot beforehand, yeah. and like he had some, he had some, you know, uh, he was a little trepidatious about him getting on here and me or you saying, "Why don't you just hit Marjorie Taylor Greene with a fucking bus? Be done with it, you know, or yeah. whatever." And he's like, "You know, I can't, I can't do that." And we put yeah. his mind at ease, like it, it won't be like that, man. We're cool. We ain't gonna no. do that. No. And in the meantime, he was like, "Well, you know, you're buddies with Corey. I'm buddies with Corey. Corey comes on mm-hmm. the show." let's also have Corey. you know it like made him a little more comfortable and yeah. then that's how that played that, out. that was his mistake that was his yes, mistake of course right. but yeah. still hope he wins they, they, we, you need people who don't have uh, media training who are willing to do shit like this to talk to their constituents in congress yeah. so vote, vote for marcus flower <laughs> yes please vote for marcus flower no yeah marcus rules the, the and yes the whole situation it was funny we all we all had yeah. a good time it was good but we're glad to have you back mark so um 
And also with us as always, producer Matt doing his thing. This here is Weekly Skews. Tonight, we're going to dive fully into what some are calling the greatest labor struggle of the 21st century. It revolves <laughs> around the good people of Bessemer, Alabama, and their fight against the Goliath that is Amazon in their attempts to unionize. To that, I say for the first and only time in my adult life with sincerity, roll tide. Also, we will have we will have a conversation with author and constitutional attorney Andrew Seidel, who works with the Freedom from Religion Foundation to ensure the separation of church and state in America and educate the public on the subject of non-belief. Happy Easter, y'all. All that and more on tonight's skews. But first, as always, we begin with the Daily Dumbass. Matt, graphic, please. Tonight's DD, anyone who thought it was impossible to out-weirdo Tucker Carlson. They said it couldn't be done, but enter Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who, as we mentioned last week, is under investigation for alleged sex trafficking involving a minor. Here's what he had to say about all that when he appeared on Tucker's show. I'm not the only person on screen right now who's been falsely accused of a terrible sex act. You were accused of something that you did not do, and so you know what this feels like. I can say that actually you and I went to dinner about two years ago. Your wife was there, and I brought a friend of mine. You'll remember her. And she was actually threatened by the FBI. I really saw this as a deeply troubling challenge for my family on March 16th when people were, you know, talking about a a minor and that there were pictures of me with child prostitutes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Talk about a bold strategy. (laughs) I haven't heard anyone say there were pictures of him with child prostitutes. He just introduced that into order to deny it. And also be like, you and your wife were there, Tucker. She looked 18 to you, right? She looked 18 to you. It's like, that's so fucking funny to me. Uh, yeah, and starting that with being like, like going going on this major conservative platform in an effort to address these very serious allegations that just came out about you, mm-hmm. and choosing the approach of, look, you know how it is, like. <laughs> You've been there, right? You know what it's like to have people say shit about like people. He said, you're, I'm not the only one to have been accused of horrific sex crimes or whatever. It's like, maybe don't yeah. go in on the host like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's worth noting he hasn't been been on Fox News again since then. And I've only been mentioned once. He got fucking disappeared. He like, you remember in, so, in, in Soviet Union when they would like erase people from pictures? <laughs> right. He's gone, buddy. Uh, but like the, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this and the clip's a couple days old, maybe a lot of you guys have already seen it, is that like that was the day the story came out. And if you can tell what he's actually been accused of by those denials, then you're a smarter person than me because I could not figure out what the hell he had actually done or been accused of doing because he's done a really good job of flooding the zone with bullshit. He's also pulling this the deep state's trying to frame me card. Or also, he's undercover working for the deep state. I don't know. It's not fucking clear what he's doing. He said his dad wore a wire or some shit. So I've been trying to figure out what exactly, how exactly he's connected to this. So there's this good, this is dude, Seminole County, Florida, tax assessor, but anyway, Joel Greenberg. All right. Joel is a bit of a dirtbag. He's got a bunch of weird stuff. He's under, he's only been indicted for five things so far. Uh, the first one, so. He got a, he got caught a couple of years ago. He, he's a tax collector, right? He made a tax collector badge for himself, <laughs> and which tax collectors don't get badges. And he was using it to do traffic stops. All right, <laughs> it was just, and not not even you like oh he's pulling over women to like no it, like apparently these are just people that pissed him off driving. He thought they drove shitty, so he pulled them over to yell at them. He had a light in his dashboard and pulled them over with his tax collector badge. Now he didn't get criminally charged for that because apparently he didn't tell anybody he was a cop. He sincerely thought he had that authority as a county tax collector. All right, so that's just an example of what a weirdo is. Yeah, dude, fucking a guy, a, a like a public official making a badge for himself and going around pulling people over and be like, Joe Greenberg, tax cop. That's yeah. like, <laughs> that is so Florida, man. Like, just it's such it, it's such a small like like tax collectors are really powerful, dude. Like, you decide what everybody's right. house is worth. Like, dude, you, you, everybody's you can, afraid of the tax man. Everybody, you can. You can do a lot of chicanery and crooked shit and help your good old boy, help your boys out with a lot, in a lot of ways. You don't need to pretend to be a cop in order to feel powerful as a tax collector. All right? right. That's just something to point out. So Matt is boy, like these guys are very close. They hang out a lot. They post a lot of Instagram selfies together. They party hard. Right. Um, and so 
so the first he got uh, this guy Greenberg got on law enforcement's radar because he started an anonymous Twitter campaign to harass the school teacher, including charge accusing him of being a pedophile and uh, being a white supremacist, just to get this guy in trouble. So the internet internet harassment campaign. Um, a cops raid his house. They find a bunch of fake IDs in his car. All right. Turns out what he's doing is tax collector. I guess in Florida, you're turning your old driver's license to the county tax collector. He would keep them, all your old IDs you turn in, and use them to make uh, uh, fake IDs for himself. So you got, you got accused of identity theft. That's indictment number two, I believe. Now, <laughs> it, it turns out he had used also used those IDs to make a fake ID for a 14 to a 17-year-old girl, according to an indictment. Now, you think of all the reasons you'd make a fake, fake ID for a teenage girl you're not related to to be hanging out with. And that come, there comes in the sex trafficking indictment. Because the New York Times is saying that Matt Gates is connected to the same girl that Greenberg made the fake ID for. All right. So that, so are we closing the loop here a little bit? Uh, so, and then it turns out that uh, 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 Greenberg and Gates had went to Greenberg's office on a Saturday night and been caught on a video rifling through that big box of fake IDs. <laughs> Don't know what they were doing. They don't have any reasons to be doing that. So there. So and it's also worth pointing out that Gates represents the Panhandle and Seminole is Orlando, basically, right? It's outright, like Sanford, Sanford, Florida, where uh, George Zimmerman was from, is is in Seminole County, and like those are far apart. It's like a four-hour drive. Gates works in D.C. These are not natural dudes to be spending a lot of time together. So the question becomes, what the hell do they have in common? Right. Uh, right. And so, and this isn't all like that's just all the illegal stuff that Gates is implicated in. There's also a bunch of dirtbag stuff. Like apparently, there's a story that he's been showing dudes on the, I guess, other dudes probably on the floor of Congress naked pictures of girls he's been seeing. He's engaged, by the way. Um, he's also a uh, congressman. Like, yeah, this I is, mean, this is you like shouldn't frat boy in an 80s sex comedy yeah. activities coming from an actual congressman who yes also yeah. is engaged he's like hey check us up totally fucked her look at that see that yeah look what she yeah. sent me check that out you like that yeah those are real so <laughs> it's, it's a dirtbag behavior in like 10 different ways but yeah you shouldn't do it no matter who you are but also you're a congressman and you're engaged all right so, <laughs> right. so we're also there's a story came out apparently this has been common knowledge but he was in a state legislator in florida he he created this points-based sex game that had Harry Potter elements where you got points depending on who you were slept with right and this one woman was known as the as the uh the snitch now, if you're familiar with Harry Potter and Quidditch, once you, if you capture the snitch, the game is over. So there's one woman who's worth so many points. If you if you if you manage to sleep with her, you would you'd won the game. But everyone else got so many other points. So therein lies the character of Matt Gates, and this is this is why no one likes him and why Republicans are throwing him uh, under the bus so quickly. Knowing all that, let's go back to the clip from Tucker Carlson's show and listen to how carefully his denial is framed. Matt, if you had that last video clip, uh, pop it up. The New York Times is running a story that I have traveled with a 17-year-old woman, and that is verifiably false. People can look at my travel records and see that that is not the case. Okay. He's saying that. Yeah. Is that, so, all right. Is that, you know, I kept her in the same place, okay? I never traveled with, or is that a, she was 15 when I traveled with her, (laughs) or by the time I traveled with her, she was 18, or she had an ID, I don't know where she got it, probably somewhere in Florida from a guy named Joel Greenberg, who said she was, you know, of age when I traveled with her, like, he's playing the technicalities here, like, the, the explicit way in which I just described this deviancy is verifiably false. But yes, every other variation of it, hey, that's that's in play, baby. <laughs> he he's hanging he's hanging the entirety of his denial on this travel with thing, and when you combine that with his other other denials of similar places where he he's basically saying he said all I did was pay for her airfare because so I'm so I'm in trouble merely for being a generous boyfriend, all right? <laughs> because it seems like what he's saying is like the stat the the age of consent was 17 in one place she the place i flew her from and the place i flew her to and you're trying to hang sex traffic on me just because i paid for her to travel between those two places and the thing is matt yes that is explicitly what the federal sex trafficking (laughs) statute is written for also you shouldn't be having sex with 17 year olds even if it's legal so just fucking throw that out there it's like uh it's like, Tucker, listen, when I brought that child sex slave to the dinner I had with you and your wife, where was that? 
Florida. Exactly right. Mm. Where do I live? Florida. Ergo, what are you going to do? No sex trafficking. <laughs> is a is a plane ticket compensation for sex? Can you be? Can, is that paying for sex? It pays for someone to travel to have sex with you? I don't know. It's close. <laughs> right. It's, I, but, I look forward yeah. to making that case in court. Yeah. Right. Especially when the uh, subject in question is a minor. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're getting into the semantics of what is or is not sex trafficking, specifically where children are involved. I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. It's That's also right. just just to roll this in our continuing conversation about QAnon and all the bullshit they're, they're, they're caught up in. We've like we've defined sex trafficking down to the Scooby-Doo fucking horse shit <laughs> that is like your kids are walking home and a guy in a mask grabs them out of the bushes and whisks them away to a satanic right. ritual, right? Right. But that's right. not what it is. Never. That it, yeah. it is what Epstein was accused of doing right. was, is paying girl teen models to travel with him to various locations. Yeah. This is exactly what Gates was doing. So uh, grow the fuck up. <laughs> And what you did was scumbaggy and illegal, and you're going down for it. It appears to me you're going to be in serious trouble. All right. Yeah, I don't know. You know, we, yeah. I mean, uh, I hope you're right. We'll see. America has, uh, you know, gone the other way multiple times before. But, yeah, it seems like he's in a pretty rough spot again. When even, like, Carlson and the rest of Fox News are like, we don't fuck with this guy. Uh, he's probably no. not in the best position. Um yeah, I mean, he tried, he tried snitching. He tried snitching on Tucker to drag him in the boat with him, and it, uh, it, it it's that's essentially yeah. I mean, I don't, on yeah. Tucker's show. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. So moving on again, let's get into the greatest labor struggle of the 21st century. So if y'all have been following it, right now in Bessemer, Alabama, which is a small suburb of Birmingham, population of roughly 30,000 people, um, 71% of which are black, so largely black community. There, outside of Birmingham, they got, a couple years ago, a big Amazon warehouse, 1,500 new jobs. It was a big deal for the community. And now, as of present day, there are nearly 6,000 Amazon warehouse workers who work at this four-story Amazon warehouse that's the size of 15 football fields, and they are attempting to unionize a large Amazon facility, which is the first time in Amazon's 25-year history. There's been a lot of talk in recent months and years about the conditions that Amazon workers go through. So far, no successful attempts to unionize have uh, materialized, but the people in Bessemer are giving it their damnedest. The voting on the subject is closed now. Ballots are on track to be counted uh any day now sometime very soon and could be announced this week so uh, we're about to find out how this all goes down but it's been to put it lightly a whole thing mark <laughs> yeah i mean like if you you wonder why amazon's so panicked about i mean like if you want to gauge the level of panic one of the reasons the, 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 the voting takes so long is they're entitled to object to each and every ballot and that is what they are doing <laughs> They are dragging this out, making it as painful as possible. Like again, this is like this is this is how we treat presidential elections that come down to two hundred votes, right? This is what <laughs> this is like what we did in Broward County, Florida, in, in two thousand. Right. So um, it is very very important to them. They seem to think it's a uh, uh, it's life or death for the current version of Amazon, and it may very well be. But it's, uh, I mean, you guys have still seen the numbers of how much richer Be- Bezos has gotten during the pandemic, during which this warehouse, they had uh, uh, extra two bucks an hour of uh, hazard pay from the first like two months of the pandemic. Then they got that kind of cut off last June. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the reasons they got super fucking pissed off and decided to unionize was that. Um, if they, if, if they do vote to unionize, they are, they'll bargain for a contract with Amazon under the retail, wholesale, and department store union, which represents staff at department stores like Macy's and H&M, as well as lots of poultry plant workers, which is important to remember because that's the, 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 the that union's foothold in Bessemer is from local poultry plants. So that's why they, they, all these people have family members that are in that union at different at other plants, right? Um, if you're wondering why Bessemer, uh, <clears throat> they, so Bessemer, a <laughs> few basic details. Bessemer as a city was incorporated by a coal baron. It was a steel town. It sat on iron ore and became a steel mill county. They, they, they've had a bunch of union fights there before. All these people, their, their parents and grandparents had good union jobs at steel plants. There was also a big coal fight there. 
Um, uh, uh, the, there's an interracial coal strike union. The, right, the fight got racialized when the management tried to divide them. But uh, 16 striking miners were killed in a u- big union fight there in 1920. So they, this town has had labor struggles before, and they're familiar with it. It's baked in the town's DNA, not only being so close to Birmingham and all the civil rights movement's connections to there, including like, like MLK was arrested once in Birmingham and held in Bessemer. And they still had, they have his arrest papers in the town museum. All right. So uh, all that's part of this town's history. Also, Bo Jackson and Jameis Winston are from Bessemer, as is Matilda the Chicken, the Guinness record holder of the world's oldest chicken who appeared on The Tonight Show. You can find that on YouTube. That's one thing I discovered. All right. So um, talking about this city, the city's uh, uh, struggle with labor, uh, we came across this clip that uh, Matt found from Democracy Now! that I thought is worth looking at. Um, because this guy explains why this this region is so ripe for labor story. Yeah, this is um, uh, this is a UCLA uh, professor, uh, historian, Doctor Robin D. G. Kelly, discussing yeah. the matter. So yeah, Matt, play it whenever you got it. This is definitely the most significant uh, labor struggle of the 21st century, no doubt. In fact, um, uh, it's. This is the largest NLRB election in three decades. I mean, because this is a big plan. You're talking about 5,800, workers. Now, in terms of, of Bessemer, Bessemer basically is part of Greater Birmingham. So it's hard to separate the two. Uh, these were industrial sections of, of a state that actually has long and continued to have the largest unionization rate of, of any southern state. Now, one of the things that we, we, we make this mistake of thinking the South is as like backwards, as conservative, but the South has been the epicenter of the country's most radical democratic movements, which is why it's completely, you know, unsurprising that Bessemer, Alabama would be the place where you'd have a kind of renewed labor movement. All right. So a couple of things about that. He at the end of that clip, we you know, it's like almost three minutes long. It's a long time to show a clip. But at the end of that clip, he says something like, you know, just so everybody knows, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, when we see these like uh, these uh, laws like voter suppression laws and these racist laws that come out, Jim Crow types of legislation, it's like that's not a coincidence. That happens exactly because the powers that be in these states have seen um, the drastic impact of racial unity in opposition to them they've seen it before in these labor disputes because that's what a lot of people maybe don't know again it's not just bessemer it's like all kinds of cold disputes blair mountain and stuff were like in the early 20th century a hundred years ago you had racially integrated uh labor forces that joined hands and marched in, in an effort to unionize and were very violently uh, quashed all around, especially the southern part of this country. So there's a big Mm -hmm. um, precedent for that type of thing happening. And it also shows, like he said at the end of that, at the end of his clip, like the uh, danger that they could face if people did you know, kind of join hands and come together in, in opposition to these types of things, which is what's happening in Bessemer right now. Yeah, I mean, like I never thought about it that way, but the the, the South's history of oppressiveness uh, has also created the the DNA and the muscle memory for how to do organization, which is like we saw in right. Georgia during the election and all. It's like the, the people know how to or, if you're talking about organize or die, people know how to organize in the South because they've also lived under the threat of death. A lot of you know a lot of working people have. And talking about the coal mine strikes, like it's worth it's worth mentioning. Amazon got caught literally hiring Pinkertons. They hired the Dude, Pinkerton Detective Agency. To I didn't unify. know. I didn't realize that Pinkertons were actually still a thing. Like the bad guy from every Western, you know, Pinkerton, mm-hmm. the Pinkerton man, that they were still a thing. That kind of blew my mind. But yeah, you're like liter- literally, objectively, an actual fact, Amazon hired Pinkerton agents to spy yeah. on I mean- warehouse workers. They, I mean, they, they, they sort of invented it, but a lot, there's a lot of corporate intelligence firms that essentially do this work now. You're talking about like, like uh, huge chunks of McKinsey, uh, McKinsey, and like uh, uh, K3, and like uh, uh, Cambridge, Cambridge Analytica is owned by a firm that does a lot of this corporate intelligence work, which is like Harvey, Harvey Weinstein hired the equivalent of Pickerton's to follow around his accusers and get dirt on them. Like this is right. these kind of people are still fucking around, yeah. corporate and they're still. 
yeah, they should all get other jobs or fuck off and die. Um, my opinion. Uh, this is a big fight. You want to just get a little bit of sense of the stakes that Danny Glover flew in just to do a promo video. Check it out. <laughs> Matt has it. I'm Danny Glover here in Bessemer, Alabama, and I'm here in support of workers here right here at Amazon, right here with you, knowing that that is a very important moment. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to show that Danny video. Plus, I love the Amazon logo where the, the smiley face turns upside down. It's just quality graphic design work. They, they, the graphics people should unionize too. Um, so just to get into the silly shit, Amazon's doing their own online Pinkerton kind of stuff where they, they hired a Twitter army. Uh, some of the people seem to be organically real. Some of it seems to be AI generated bots or, or corporate like like uh, PR people pretending to be Amazon workers. But this program called Veritas recruited a bunch of people who were paid extra to say that working in Amazon's awesome and like search out like people criticizing Amazon and be like, actually, I've never peed in the bottle and do shit like that. Right. Um, so they did a bunch of that and like they, they denied they were doing it, but then leaked internal corporate strategy documents detailed like what they like. That it actually had the program actually had a name, they had a strategy, yada yada yada. Um, they this has all been so fucking anyway. So, they Amazon's done a bunch of shit, really crooked shit. Okay, they uh they bombarded their own workers with text messages on the private private phones. Uh, they put up a bunch of oppressive workplace, workplace posters, which you could imagine, but they hung them inside of bathroom stalls. You couldn't even take a the two 15 minute bath breaks, bathroom breaks you get in a 10 hour day, which is true in an Amazon warehouse. You right. couldn't even take a shit without reading anti-union stuff. Um, they they uh, uh, started running anti-union ads on Twitch for Amazon workers who had Twitch accounts. Uh, workers were pulled off the line in classroom style meetings, which lasted hours where they were blasted by anti-union propaganda. Okay, they, all right, okay. People, Workers were pulled off the line for classroom style meetings where they were blasted with mm-hmm. anti-union propaganda. Now this is an anecdote and this isn't, it's not about Amazon, but still, I guarantee you they all pull from the same playbook. <laughs> I got a good buddy mm-hmm. that works for another big corporation that made a big, you know, we're bringing jobs to a part of Tennessee where I'm from and he worked for them and early on in the process, again, it's not Amazon, but still same playbook. He came back after he'd been working there for, I don't know, six months or so. And we were all hanging out and he told us a story about how early on they had this kind of like retreat on the subject of unionization. And they were all told like, we're going to present to you both sides of the argument fairly so you can make an informed decision, right? That's what they told them. And he said they came in there and they walked in the room, the classroom style meeting room, and there was a big banquet of all these uh, banquet table with all these donuts and coffee and stuff set up. And they wa- the boss man walked in and was like, okay, we're going to, our first speaker is going to be representative from the pro union organization, blah, 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 whatever. This is the union person to give you their perspective on the subject of unionizing and he said this lady walks in first thing she did was walked over to the donuts literally spit onto the donuts and then start berating them all (laughs) (laughs) it's like clearly she's not an actual union rep it's like some actor they've hired to play the part of big union to you know for propaganda anti-union propaganda that mm-hmm. this major corporation did. And like, you know, what pisses me off, Mark, no subtlety, no nuance, just going straight for the throat like that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah like, that's a true I mean, story that I told you third hand, but I, but he wouldn't <laughs> lie. my buddy wouldn't lie. It's a true story. <laughs> how you make that up. It's so fucking ridiculous. Like, like, right. but like you, but you talk about why they need to unionize and how one side of the power is like one thing Amazon did was like the, 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 the voting booth, the, the polling location, it's supposed to be a secret ballot. They put it in the middle of the parking lot where everyone can see who's voting and when they're going to vote. All right. That's against federal law. They did it anyway. Um, they work with the town. They colluded with the, the town government to change the timing of a stoplight because union organizers were handing out literature at the stoplight from the plant <laughs> during shift changes. So, uh, so it, it, in that dynamic, you know, I want to give we we don't give we don't give Joe a lot of props, but uh, he, in that dynamic where these workers are getting fucking basically threatened implicitly, if not explicitly, uh, he uh, he became the first sitting president in a long time to come out in favor of unionization without mentioning Amazon, because that would be against federal law to saying you guys should vote pro union. He just acknowledged the importance of union and said that everyone should vote. So if you have that video queued up, just play a small chunk of it there. Uh, um. Today and over the next few days and weeks, workers in Alabama 
and all across America are voting on whether to organize a union in their workplace. This is vitally important, a vitally important choice as America grapples with the deadly pandemic, the economic crisis, and the reckoning on race, what it reveals the deep disparities that still exist in our country. And there should be no intimidation, no coercion, no threats, no anti-union propaganda. Yeah. And again, that seems like, you know, like a very, you know, like a very basic thing a president should say, you would think as like a working class yeah. person. But like you said, it's actually, uh, you know, noteworthy because it's very yeah. rare for a president to make a sitting president to make statements like that. So, yeah. good for And you. I hope uh, I mean, obviously, the people I hope the people felt like they could vote how they wanted to vote. And personally, I hope it's the union drive is successful. Uh, but if it's not, I hope they all voted honestly how they prefer, how they preferred. And I hope it's an honest result. And either way, Jeff Bezos should give all of his employees a hundred thousand dollar bonus. <laughs> Absolutely. He has threat. enough money to buy the moon. He could yes. certainly afford it. So, yeah. Totally. Um, and yeah, maybe we'll circle back to that later in the Q&A segment. But now let's get to our guest tonight. He is an author and a constitutional and civil rights attorney who is the director of strategic response at the freedom from religion foundation, where he works to keep state and church separate and educate the public about non-belief. His first book, the founding myth, why Christian nationalism is un-American came out 20 months prior to the very relevant capital insurrection. And his book also holds the distinction of being burned by a Christian nationalist preacher in my home state of Tennessee. I'm jealous. I don't think I ever got my book burned. I'm going to have to look into that. Uh, his follow-up, Weaponizing Religious Freedom, is due out next year. Everybody, please welcome Andrew L. Seidel. Andrew. Thank you, you for having me on. I am. Thanks, gents. Welcome. Hey, Pleasure. buddy. Good to see you again. You as well. Yeah. How's it going, man? Where are you at? You up there in Wisconsin? Where are you? I'm up in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, the weather, like we can finally go outside here. It's like over 60 degrees now, so I'm a happy man. Uh, you know, I've got a little uh, bourbon here, so I'm feeling good about life right now. Nice. Right on, buddy. Yeah, well, thanks for being here. So um, let's get into it. You talk about the dangers of Christian uh, Christian nationalism. And a mm -hmm. recent article just came out from foreignpolicy.com, the, the, the headline of which is, The U.S. Needs De-Radicalization for Christian Extremists. Uh, programs that were designed to reform violent jihadis could potentially help tackle the spread of QAnon and other conspiracy theories in evangelical communities. So we're looking at the mm -hmm. danger of uh, radicalized, you know, frothing white people in this country. <laughs> and we've seen it firsthand recently, right? We have. I mean, what we're talking about is white Christian nationalism. That's yes. what this really is. That's what I mean. When you're talking about white evangelicals, that is really what we are focusing in on. Uh, you know, everybody likes to cite that 81% of white evangelicals that voted for Trump in 2016. Um, actually, a better indicator was being a Christian nationalist. Thinking that the United States was founded as a Christian nation was a better indicator of a Trump voter than being a white evangelical. Uh, and it really is this ideology, this political theology that cuts across all these different crucial issues from views on police brutality to views on getting the vaccine or wearing a mask. Uh, I mean, you name it, Christian nationalism is one of the best explanations for so much of what we are seeing today and really was, I think, one of the primary drivers of the January 6th attack on our democracy. For sure. But I want to know, like, I think it totally makes sense when you say, you know, for so many people, uh, mm -hmm. their guy, right? Like being like the Christian nationalist guy yeah. that cuts across all the other policy issues. That's the thing that matters the most for them or whatnot. I feel like that makes sense. But how do you think Donald <laughs> Trump became that dude when like I felt like even he himself for a large chunk of his campaign early on, he didn't even really pretend to give a shit about God. I, th well, I think so. Like, how did he, how did they slide him into that role so effortlessly? I mean, he really tapped into this undercurrent of Christian nationalism that has been bubbling. And this isn't the first time we've seen this in American history. There have been waves throughout American history in the lead up and through the Civil War was a really big one. Uh, in the 1950s was another really huge wave of Christian nationalism. And then Trump kind of just was the right candidate to come along who just 
does not care about truth or, or reality in any way, shape or form and is willing to spew any kind of disinformation that will get him a few extra votes. And so he's just kind of this perfect candidate to capture uh, that Christian nationalist vote. Uh, and, and I mean, he really did it in a way that is that's really inarguable. I mean, there have been a, a bunch of really good studies that have come out since 2016 that show uh, this really was kind of the primary driver. And it's fascinating, too, because this, this entire identity, I mean, real quick, so people who haven't heard this, Christian nationalism is the idea that we were, the United States was founded as a Christian nation, right? That we're based on Judeo-Christian principles. And most importantly, that we've strayed from that foundation, that we've gotten away from our godly roots. And they use that language of return to justify all this just hateful public policy from uh, things like the Muslim ban uh, to the child separation policy at the border. I think a lot of people forget that Attorney General Jeff Sessions pointed to the Bible, to Romans 13, to justify this, which he learned to do in the White House Bible study. Uh, I mean, the opposition to gay marriage, LGBTQ equality, I mean, you name it, Christian nationalism is really kind of there on the ground level, uh, tapping into these the, this idea that we were founded and based on this this mythical past and we got to get back to it. And, right. and when, they, when they, when they say God made uh, America for Christian, they mean white Christians and they're really yeah. excited about it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I should say too, like the, and, and there's really good data and studies on this too. So the idea of a Christian nation is very different for a black American than it is for a white American. Um, mm -hmm. Andrew Whitehead and Sam Perry have done some really interesting work on this, it, but there's very clearly a difference between those two things. So when I'm, when I'm talking about Christian nationalism, I'm really talking about white Christian nationalism. And I can also say that the overlap between white Christian nationalism and white supremacy. You know, if you're looking at a Venn diagram, that's, that's basically yeah. a circle. Yeah. So on that note, actually, you already mentioned the, uh, the Capitol insurrection, how that was this huge driving, uh, force in <clears> that. <throat> we also know that a lot of, you know, QAnon, right? You got the mm -hmm. QAnon shaman at the very center of that. And 538 just recently put out an article that says why QAnon has attracted so many white evangelicals. Q from very early on started throwing his lot in with the Lord, right? So what is the sort of relationship between white nationalism and what you're talking about and the conspiracy side of this whole thing with QAnon and that whole deal? How does that all sort of link yeah, up? I I just put a video of this up on my YouTube channel. Um, it, it really is a fascinating sort of incestuous relationship between these. Uh, I mean, first of all, there there were, of course, other motivations and drivers of that, that attack on January right. 6th. But the permission structure that Christian nationalism creates, right? I'm doing God's will. I'm fighting for God's law. I'm returning this country to its Christian roots or or fighting for the chosen one. Like, do you guys remember Trump like said, I am the chosen one, like looked up at yeah. the sky. Remember that? Yeah. I mean, um, but there were these other obvious drivers and QAnon is a great one. There was this... Um, famous picture that circulated at the time of a, you know, a MAGA hatted insurrectionist. She was carrying a portrait of Jesus, the white Jesus, of course. Um, and Jesus has a red MAGA hat on and he has like a QAnon slogan on his white robes. And so you've got Trump and QAnon and white Jesus rolled into this one image that really captures what multiple <coughs> studies are now revealing. And it's this intimate relationship between QAnon and Christian nationalism and, and white evangelicals. And, and I think a big part of that is, is the simple explanation that the religious mind is primed to accept lies and disinformation, right? Cool. They are, they are in, instructed on a weekly basis to turn off reason and skepticism and engage their faith. Well, uh, and I, that comes at a cost. Do you think, though, like, I also think that part of it is um, you wrap all those things up together. And for a lot of these people, it's like the people who think the things that I think they are, they're right. <laughs> they're the right ones. And then the people who don't, they're the wrong. They're the bad guys. We're the good guys. Right. And if you have that mindset, I feel like incorporating into that mindset the idea that the lord above <laughs> is on your side yep. that helps with that mentality a lot right like it's really easy for, for sure to wrap all that up together because you can justify anything if god 
is behind what you're trying to do. Or at least if like, even if God's not behind it, God is a co-signer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and, and they believe, they believe that God's behind it. I mean, they really do. And you're, you're right. What you're talking about is tribalism, right? I mean, that's what you're talking about at the most basic level. And, and having that divine sanction on your tribalism is so powerful. The attacker who kicked in uh, Speaker Pelosi's door uh, hoping to tear her quote into little pieces uh, was an attorney, and his rantings were um, they were recounted at one of the the hearings after he was being charged in court. And he said this: he said, "God is on Trump's side. God is mm-hmm. not on the Democrat side. And if patriots have to kill sixty million of these communists, it is God's will." I mean, I, I, that that sums up, I think, exactly the tribalism and that that really scary uh, violence streak yeah. to it as well. I mean, it's like that's that's garden variety fascism, right? We, we'll have a <laughs> yeah. utopia. Well, a perfect utopia once we kill all the bad people. Yeah, you know, we, we'll be murder free once we do all the killing. Um, <laughs> but there is also, I mean, like one of the reasons Q and I was proud to fit in with evangelical was like I remember I grew up in a Baptist church in the height of the satanic panic, and like like yeah. the idea that Satan is a literal person who's out there doing uh, doing dirty deeds is both is both in Q and on and evangelical. Like like that the God and Satan are in a war and it's a close fight. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of well, like, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You're right. I mean, and I mean, like if you look at if you look at that rally that was held on January 6th that Trump closed out, that started with Paula White giving a prayer and she invoked the adversary and essentially talked about how we have to guard Trump and you have to go out there and fight for him. She she actually added uh, really a perfect moment for Christian nationalism. She added the United States of America to the Lord's Prayer that's written in Matthew 6 while she was saying it. Uh, oh, it was, just, yeah, it was really a remarkable moment. So, I mean, you're right. And there's there's other overlaps and analogs, right? Like the idea that, um, you know, Q, uh, the storm, whatever they're their apocalypse is, you know, the date keeps getting pushed back, just like all the other doomsday prophets. Who, oh, right. I was, I miscalculated uh, this part of Revelations. Mm-hmm. It's actually going to be next year. Uh, you know, I mean, you keep seeing, there's a lot of overlaps. You're definitely right to to hone in on that too. So, yeah. doesn't it, uh, go ahead, Mark. Oh, I was going to, I just wanted like, like two, two moments that stuck out to me that are really funny in my memory, just because like, uh, there's this famous anecdote where when Trump was at the beginning of his presidential campaign, I think it was started in the primary, they, they brought in a bunch of evangelical ministers to meet with him as like a, like a meet and greet. And they talked to him for a while. And at, at the end, he goes, evangelicals, but you're Christian, right? Like he didn't even know. <laughs> and then there's also the famous one he did publicly, which is he went to Liberty University, which is near yeah. where I'm from, and called it two Corinthians. Like, But he just like no one ever gave a shit about it. Like he obviously was just, I mean, they got other judges. Maybe it was worth it. I don't know. But it was like... <laughs> Just what a cynical fucking play, man. Yeah, I mean, he, he couldn't name a favorite passage of the Bible. I mean, he was very clearly tapping into it for political gain. But, you know, I mean, when, right. well, so when real, doesn't that both of what both you guys are saying right now, doesn't that almost kind of prove that politics comes first over religion to these people we're talking about? Because like they see that. Meanwhile, they see Obama go lead the choir in Amazing Grace in Charleston and whatever else. But he's a secret <laughs> Kenyan Muslim. Right. But then everything that Trump, y'all just said Trump did, he does that. And he is God's chosen one. Like, doesn't that kind of prove that really it's politics first for them and they just fit it into the God mold and go from there? I mean, I think there's a really good argument to be made that American Christianity is reorganizing around political lines and and sort right. of sh- shedding those uh, sectarian differences. You know, being Protestant or Catholic doesn't matter as much now as being, a, you know, a conservative slash Republican Christian. Uh, I right. think and, and that is really, I think, why Christian nationalism is sort of um, rising to the top as one of the best explanations for so many of the culture war issues and the political issues that we're seeing today. Um, I don't know whether I would agree that it proves that conclusively, but I definitely think there's there's a really good argument to be made there. And it is something I explore in the book a little bit. I mean, there's a decent argument to be made that, I mean, obviously, I think to the degree it's accelerating is because fewer other types of people go to church, so they overwhelm the religious sphere. But like, I mean, this is sort of what happened with the John Burr Society when segregation academies took off and they, they the, the moral majority reframed from being about segregation to being about being pro-life. And they, it feels like they've been trying to get, like they, they got really uncomfortable starting around when, when schools started desegregating and they, yeah. they've been trying to figure out a way to get organized since then. And now it's just sort of like they, they figured it out and they're all on the same page. 
So it feels yeah. like yeah, I mean, I mean, school vouchers actually originated uh, after Brown mm-hmm. versus Board in the in the the fight for to desegregate schools. Uh, I mean, so I think I don't know. It's it's a it's a fascinating conversation, and there's like I said, there's been different waves of Christian nationalism throughout history. Uh, I mean, the one that happened on January sixth, it was kind of like the culmination of Trump's wave of Christian nationalism, but it's also not gone. Like it, it's not going right. anywhere. It's going to be a very important driver of the political debate and the religious debate for a long time to come. And I mean, you know, one of the things you just said uh, that I think was so important is that people are fleeing religion in this country. I mean, there's been a precipitous drop over the last 20 years in people who uh, go to church and uh, call themselves a Christian or, uh, you know, believe in a particular God. And a big part of that is the politicization of religion that you were just talking about, Trey, right? Like the fact that there's all these conservative assholes uh, talking about how LGBTQ people aren't people and don't deserve equal rights is driving a ton of, you know, millennials away from the church. Uh, and it, then it becomes this kind of this, this awesome feedback cycle where we're going to have a majority non-religious country soon. Right. Well, um, Andrew, so give it, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, let people know about, about the book, what you got going on where people can check the book out and all that good stuff. And also like if there was any big, highlight that you want you know want to put out there for the world this is your opportunity to do it uh so any and all that hit us with it <laughs> i mean i do think that that uh my book was burned by a preacher in your home state is a pretty good selling point for anybody who uh, Absolutely. I, like i said i'm jealous i'm not i'm jealous of that i'm mad i want to send that guy a copy of my book and be like you sure you don't want to burn this i mean that's how it happened we got into this little twitter spat and i was like i'm gonna send you a copy of my book and then a couple days later he posted this video of himself with a blowtorch <laughs> <laughs> and he uh he, he dubbed uh hell's bells acdc over top of it it was it was not awesome. yeah. kind of that kind of fucking rules I mean, yeah. you could have sold if, if you call that cancel culture you could have got sold a couple hundred thousand more books yeah oh, man i don't know why i didn't think of that uh but yeah so the book is the book is the founding myth why christian nationalism is un-american um you know i'm really proud of it, it it's been doing well i got a new book coming out next year um if people are interested in it please pick up a copy. If you want a signed copy, you can actually get one through the organization I work for, FFRF. Um, if you go to ffrf.us slash founding myth, um, you can just write a little note when you check out asking for a signed copy and I'll personalize it and sign that and get it out to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the big thing. Join the Freedom From Religion Foundation too. If you've uh, you know got a little disposable income, the fight for the separation of state and church is kind of a silver bullet, a panacea for a lot of the other fights that, that we kind of care about as progressives right on yeah well thank you very much for coming on andrew it was a great time perfect post easter discussion uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah always good to talk to you buddy and um i'll see yeah. you down the road no yeah thanks so much for having me on and yeah i mean as far as easter goes you know if you don't sin jesus died for nothing so just remember that <laughs> <laughs> my man andrew seidel everybody thank you very much brother nice to meet you andrew <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, for I wanted the, to, like, do you think, good. Mark, you don't have kids. Do you think it's like at all weird or anything that we hide eggs and stuff like that when we are such a godless household? Like, that's fine, right? Like, I mean, I say this as a person who spent every Sunday for 18 years in Sunday school. Like, I always assumed like 40% of the people there didn't fully believe everything. They were just <laughs> right. there for yeah. community and family. It's a place to go see your neighbors on a Sunday. And you it gives you a routine to teach your kids about morality and help make friends and stuff. Yeah, well, like, we don't do none of that. I was actually going to make a point to say, like, we ain't said a word about Jesus uh, on our Easter celebrations. We're just like, yeah, there's a... Because, bu-. I mean, hell, I feel like it's not like the two connect anyway. You know what I mean? It's like there's a bunny, he hides eggs, and I feel like it'd almost be more confusing to tell him, and that's because of Jesus. <laughs> you know, like, just let them yeah. think there's a bunny that hides eggs, and that's all. They're- Mine are eight and nine, and they already know it's bullshit. Even the bunny let alone the Lord. But yeah, we just, we do it for fun, family fun time. It It's funny that, uh, uh, like we, uh, if you think of it like churches teaching morality, like, uh, they used to less and let things because it's first, it's finders keepers the fittest go the spoils and steal that shit. If you get there first, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, uh, right. interesting. 
Uh, I wanted to, so this came up, this just came yes, across, so right? People, oh, questions and comments, put them up there. Matt will start looking through them, but yeah, go ahead, Mark. Hit the, hit the primer there. Apparently, right as we started the show, there's a New York Times story that came out of that says that Mike, Matt Gates asked Trump for a blanket pardon before Trump left office and Trump told him to fuck off or just didn't do it, whatever. But <laughs> the same article has a quote from his book that I guess hasn't come out yet, but it has this passage in it. The president has called me when I was in my car, asleep in the middle of the night on my Longworth office cot, on the throne, on airplanes, in nightclubs, and even in the throes of passions. Parentheses, yes, I answered. So congrats <laughs> to whoever Matt Gates was fucking like talked to Donald Trump about sometime he almost did it with Cindy Lauper or whatever. whatever <laughs> so, all right, everybody, hit us with whatever you got, including Mark. We want to talk a little bit about uh, vaccine passports. Yeah, what you think about them? I got mixed. I got mixed opinions. <laughs> I mean, uh, hell, I'm for it. I guess uh, I don't have like. I, if you can't have a vaccine, you can't. I don't really feel that much differently about it than I feel about the rest of vaccines. Do you know what I mean? Meaning, like, I don't want your bullshit endangering the health of like my people, my family, yeah. or whatever. So I'm not on board with you being that way and if that means we got to have vaccine passports to police that type of thing then i mean hell i'm for it so here, here's the here's the circle i've been in repeatedly for the last couple of days okay it's like okay well we want to encourage as many people to get vaccines as possible right that's definitely true right but also because of who got the vaccines first we're basically creating uh, an apartheid system where all the rich white people can start going places and other people can't right, right? now yes that's a good point but but then I go, okay, but everything in America hits poor people harder, including actual COVID. So measures that encourage people to get vaccinated faster, the lives they're saving are actually the poor people that are getting fucked by the vaccine passport. It's now back around to being pro. <laughs> so then, but then I go, but like, but it is fucked up that a private company can have that much say over a person's private medical choices, right? Like if I want to go to Disneyland, I have to get this medical procedure, right? So that's kind of fucked up. But also, there's no legal structure I'm familiar with that can prevent Disneyland from requiring a vaccine. We already went through all this stuff in the civil rights movement. The, the list of the list of reasons you can you have to let people in your business or can't exclude them is really short. It's basically you can't refuse service to someone for being black or because of their religion or the sexual orientation. So occasionally, but also bars don't let people in if they have baseball caps and wear baggy clothes. We know who that's right. about, right? So like. If a, bar, if a bar can kick somebody off wearing a baseball hat, but not for intensely trying to spread COVID, I don't understand what the fucking system is. <laughs> yes, 100%. So, and also, I'm not going to lie. I didn't, in my head, I only thought of it as like the anti-maskers who like refuse to get yeah. vaccines or whatever. That's who I was thinking of. And I was like, yeah, well, fuck them. They ought not be allowed to do shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, no, yeah. But, I mean, but I wasn't thinking about, I mean, right. Like disadvantaged people and people that can't get it for other reasons, even though they would like to, which is definitely how this country works. I wasn't yeah. even thinking about it from that perspective. And that does kind of, you know, that's a good point. It does kind of change things a little bit. But the, the basic, I mean, I saw that Ron, DeSantis, Ron DeSantis is making noise about preventing vaccine passports. But here's the thing. Conservatives fought really, really hard for private property rights during the civil rights movement. The line, the parameters are pretty clearly drawn. And you've already won, Ron DeSantis. And the and you have fought really hard. For, I keep using Disneyland as an example. The Florida Marlins can refuse entry to anybody if they want for any reason. And that includes if you can't prove you got a fucking vaccine. So I don't know what you're going to do, Ron DeSantis. It's a betrayal movement. Go for it. Uh, Lauren Russell Pank says, at Andrew, our guest tonight, glad I can order a book through FFRF and don't have to go through Amazon. Yes, that's right. Like, look, I like, dude, I ain't going to lie, especially with the wife I got. I ain't going to blame it all on her. I do it too. But like, it's a damn Amazon box outside my house pretty much every day. Like we're like, yeah. like we've gotten just addicted to these motherfuckers, you know, like as a society, like, but if they just did shit in an all right way, yes. that would be fine. So let's just make them do that. And then it's fine. We can be hooked on Amazon if we want to be. Yeah, I will. Uh, I mean, we, uh, we subscribe to Amazon. Uh, I would sell a TV show to Amazon if they wanted to buy one. I have. Uh, they didn't put it yeah. on there. That's fine. It's okay. I'm not that, mad at you, Amazon. That doesn't mean I, I, I can think a company's good and also they should pay their employees fairly. The Chick-fil-A makes a delicious goddamn chicken sandwich. Right. Uh, I still think they should be nice to gay people. And I know I can tell all those thoughts at the same time. Um, and I think the solution is just to support unionization effort because if you need a bunch of toiletries delivered to your house, there's only one option. And 
Right. Uh, another anecdotal thing I share is if you've been following me for a while, you probably know DJ Lewis. Good buddy DJ Lewis. Been on the Well Red Podcast countless times. Yes, DJ has worked seasonally for Amazon a lot, and he confirms all the worst stories you've ever heard about about the way they treat their employees. Again, that's one one buddy of mine, but I'm just saying. Um, he says it's no, all I have true. A, it's all true. At a, <laughs> at a high school, one of my best friends from high school, when he got out of the Air Force, he ran a logistical center for uh, for Amazon because they hired a bunch of veterans, of course. And uh, he quit not, not happily. He didn't like working there. And that was as a, that was as a management. So, Yeah. David S. Skipper <clears> says, <throat> MLB All-Star Game coming to Denver. Screw stupid Georgia. All right, David. Okay, here we go. Oh, we I wanted to say. That, you, Mark uh, wasn't here last week. This got brought up last week. Uh, well, first of all, mm-hmm. go ahead, Mark. Say what you're going to say. Oh, some some Andrew said, and I don't like disagree with it, but he's he's talking about how like uh, churches train people to like like ignore reason, and some of that's true. But like the good aspect of it uh, is it uh, it makes you believe like the the Amazon Union efforts largely largely being organized through churches, and uh, right, that's sort of like it makes you believe that you can do things like like a Reverend King did. You think you think you can make America less racist through God through God's power. And you think yeah. you can go up against Amazon to win? So it's not—it's not necessarily all bad to have a faith. In right, like I think that, faith, but, yeah. like as a concept and as a general yeah. thing, I think faith is good. Actually, you have yeah. to—you know—like we've had many debates about the future of this country on here, or whatever. And I try to be gener- generally optimistic. And what is that but faith? You know, so what else is there, I man? It's like I don't have right. I have <laughs> nothing else. Yeah, <laughs> to just put faith in the idea, but not in God, in the idea that we as a society will will see this thing through. So, yeah, I don't. And like you said, the whole Bessemer, the people organizing Bessemer, like the Christian faith is a huge part of what they're doing. And that's an example of what the good that could come of it. But to be fair to Andrew, he did draw a very clear line between he was like no. this is white Christian nationalism. I'm talking about specifically, which is sure, you know, it's just. And I'm not putting him in a, in a, in a bucket at all. It's like uh, uh, Andrew's very nice and very pleasant to talk to and stuff. But, but a lot, a lot of atheists are very strident in that. Um, and I, I'm, a, I'm not. I happen to be a non-believer. I'm not like militant about it. I don't like. I don't think too much about it deeply at all anymore. I major. I minored in philosophy in college. Then sort of decided to stop thinking about God after that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, it's just like there's a school of atheism which is very abrasive. Do you know what I'm yes. saying? And I, I'm sensitive yeah. to not trying to because my my mom's one of the smartest people I know. She's also a deaconess at a Southern Baptist church. She has her PhD right. in shit. She just shoots. She just has a deep and abiding faith in the Lord that helps her through life. You know, so right. I I understand that. It's just I just I'm, I'm not blessed with it. So actually, yeah, because you weren't you weren't here last week. I I want to see where you're at on this actually. Since David Skipper said this again, MLB All Star Game coming to Denver. Screw stupid Georgia. We talked about this last week with Marcus a little bit. I actually put a video out about it today. I don't I don't know where you're at on it. I'm not. I guess it's because I'm from. Or I guess it's because I am a liberal Southern. I'm from a bad state, and I don't want to be. I'm from a bad place, and I don't like the idea of being punished for that just because that's where I'm from or whatever. I don't know if that's all it is, but I'm not. I've never been about these like statewide boycott things that crop up every now and then. Because when I first got stuck, when I first went viral and started touring and stuff, it was North Carolina with the transgender bathroom laws. And people would ask me all the time, like, are you going to boycott North Carolina? Are you going to not do shows in North Carolina? And I was always like, hell no, I'm not going to do that. Like that, <laughs> the people, all that's going to do is punish other liberals in North Carolina. And I'm not fucking the MLB, right? Yeah. <laughs> At all. But I just don't, I, I'm not down with punishing an, an entire state because the people who run it are shitty. There's a lot of good people there still. And, you know, they get affected by this type of shit too. So I'm just not, I'm just not on board with that. I don't know. How do you feel about that whole thing? Uh, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know the demographics of who goes to an all-star game. I mean, is it corporate donors that were just flying to a different location for it or, or corporate sponsors? Or is it like, like, cause if you move the Super Bowl, that's what happens. It's just the same set of people attending or just flying to a different city. So like a different city gets the cash injection. Right. Right. That's um, a good point. Uh, I don't know how all-star – I don't, I'm not a big baseball fan. I don't really know how that works. But the – I don't know. I mean, what what is base, basically baseball supposed to do? I mean, I get if, if I'm Rob Manfred, I probably don't do anything. Just keep my mouth shut and nothing happens. But as a business decision because, like, it, it, your fans are white and old and conservative. Um, 
Uh, but so that would lead you to believe that they wouldn't boycott Georgia, which they did. Like, maybe they, they, they just boycott did. Georgia, but they made a gesture in that direction yeah. by moving it. Maybe, maybe, maybe they thought doing what they thought was the right thing. Well, I mean, so is, Marcus, is, well, but like Marcus last week was saying, please don't do that. And Stacey Abrams has said, please don't do that. Because like, it's yeah. like, to me, it's like, these are just a few weeks ago, Georgia was the darling, the liberal darling of this country, you know, like yes. they had done such a great job. And like all those people who were involved with making that happen, they still live that they're still in Georgia, you know, yeah. like, and now everybody's flipped the script. They're like, no, fuck Georgia, boycott Georgia. And it's like, I just don't, I just don't think that's the way that it should work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't like, if you see how mad Republicans are about it, it seems to have worked. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I guess posturing about it and everything, I guess, is okay because it does certainly get them very fired up, which that part is funny to me. But if yeah. it gets to a point where it's like, you know, actually impacting people, because, you know, like, I, I th I'm pretty sure, and I don't want to put the boss on blast. Lord knows I love the boss. If I'm wrong about this, I apologize. I think like one of the first big acts that like removed dates from North Carolina with the transgender thing, I think Springsteen did that, I believe. Mm -hmm. And like, I just think about my godless red ass daddy and how disappointed he would have been if he didn't get to go get, if he didn't get to go see Springsteen because the people in charge were assholes, you know, but also the people that work at that, uh, arena and everything like that's they don't get to work that night they make less money and I just it, I yeah. love I would not even invoke the name of the boss because I don't even know if what I'm saying is true and even if it is I don't necessarily blame him like I get it but I don't I'm just not into it me personally I think yeah I don't I, don't, uh, like I don't I see all sides just like the vaccine passport thing you convinced me multiple ways both times I don't yeah. know <laughs> right okay well I what a great welcome back show for Mark we had. It felt like it felt like a month we're gone. Felt like yeah, glad to have you back. <laughs> Love Corey. He's still our senior Georgia correspondent. Everybody, he's not been fired. He, you know, I know he made his public apology. People were trying to cancel him. Not the excuse. We're gonna. He's gonna remain gainfully employed for nothing at all. Here, on hashtag cancel our, Corey. Let's get it going, yeah, baby. As our Georgia correspondent. And so, with that said, we'll uh, we'll see y'all next week, and we're gonna have a good time. I'm Trey. Mark. So you love you. Bye.